the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Christians today have become so stinking skillful at trying to get by with doing the least for God and the most for themselves. God is the provider of all things. He is the owner of all things. We are only the stewards of those things. And Jacob becomes instantly aware that what he has and how he manages it is a direct reflection on his maturity or lack thereof in the Lord. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Genesis. Stewardship is something that many in the church today give little thought to. We have a sense that what we have is ours to do with as we please. But is that really the biblical perspective? Today, Pastor Gary reminds us that everything we have, our homes, our money, and even the very ability we have to work has been given to us by God. When Jacob realized that God had been his provider all along, it brought him to a place of humility and worship. He realized that his use of all that he had been given would reveal how much of himself he had given to God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of his message entitled, Lessons from a Ladder. This encounter that God has here with Jacob through this dream is, for lack of a better term, Jacob's conversion experience. This is when he really fully believes in the God of Abraham and Isaac. And now he's going to make him his own God. God's not done with this guy yet. He still has some more character flaws that have to be hammered out. But this is the beginning here, this conversion moment where Jacob begins to draw near to the God of his father, Abraham and Isaac. He was far from God. Jacob really had no particular motivation For the things of God, he was only interested in himself and his own personal gain. He was not interested in spiritual things. And this experience here teaches Jacob, this dream that he has here, teaches Jacob some things, very important things about God, about the character and nature of God, and about his own personal relationship with or the lack thereof with God. And there's some good things for us to learn in here as well. Familiar lessons maybe to some of you. For those of you who are new to the Lord or you're trying to figure out things about the Lord, this is 
This is a good beginning point for you as it was a good beginning point for Jacob. And here's the first thing, if you all like to take notes, lessons from a ladder. Here's the first thing that Jacob begins to learn. He learns about the pursuit of God. When I say that, I don't mean Jacob's pursuit of God. I mean the pursuit of God as in God's pursuit. This is his pursuit. God is pursuing Jacob here. Jacob doesn't have the foggiest idea about God. Despite the fact that he's grown up in a relatively spiritual home, though the influence of his parents were not the greatest examples of some lying and deception going on, but be that as it may, he begins to realize for the first time how much God has been on the hunt for him. I want you to understand this as a basic principle of the character and nature of God. You don't pursue God. God pursued you. You've never pursued God. I've never pursued God. We respond to his pursuit. But he has been the one that has been actively pursuing us. The Bible says in Romans 3.11, there is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. And some of you think, well, wait a minute. I, I sought God. That's how I became a Christian. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I sought God. No, no, no. You did not seek God. God sought you. You responded to God. God has always been, to coin a term from the poet Francis Thompson who wrote Hound of Heaven in the 1800s. God is the Hound of Heaven. He has been on the hunt for you. And He has been actively pursuing to seek you because He loves you. And He wants to have a relationship with you. God is the pursuer. Speaking of songs, songs that we sang in Sunday school, Climbing Jacob's Ladder. Okay, that one wasn't the most doctrinally correct song. But there's a good hymn of the faith. Victory in Jesus, very doctrinally sound. Many, maybe many of you grew up singing that song as well. The first stanza says, I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. And then the chorus goes, O oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Listen, he sought me. And bought me with his redeeming blood. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Who is the seeker here? Who is the pursuer in this story in Genesis 28? It's God. God is the one who is seeking Jacob. God is the one who is pursuing Jacob, not the other way around. And what's amazing is, God is choosing to seek Jacob to have relationship with this guy this 70-year-old, deceitful, rebellious, on-the-run mama's boy, that's the guy that God wants on his team. He has chosen to use this guy, even though he's not, again, there's nothing spiritually, you know, vibrant about this guy. He's not really seeking God, praying to God, no reference of altars or, or sacrifice. This guy is just completely about himself. It wasn't as if God looked at him and said, you are one sharp cookie, I need you. No, God saw him for who he could be, not for who he is. That's the way God chooses us. It's not on the basis of who we are. It's not like God wakes up one day and says, man, you, you could make a difference for the kingdom. No, he looks at all of us and thinks, you need some work. And I sent Jesus to die for you. And in spite of how we are, Jesus sees us as we can be in Christ. The Bible says in Romans 4.17 that he is the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. There was nothing impressive about any of us that God chose us. 
for his purposes. He chooses the foolish things to shame the wise. He chooses the things that are weak to shame the strong. This is God's plan for us. There's nothing impressive about us. There's nothing impressive about Jacob. The other morning when I got up, I went outside, and Friday night, I guess there'd been like a little sprinkle or maybe just the dew from the night before. You know how worms come out on the sidewalk? They all come out on the sidewalks, but they're dumb. You know, they're worms, right? They don't know how to get back to moisture, so they're all struggling on the sidewalks. The sun starts to come out, the sidewalk gets dry, and you see them struggling to get back to the dirt. They can't get back to the dirt. So I came out, I'm seeing these worms struggling on the sidewalk, and thinking, look at these things. So I just decided to stomp on them, let them out of the misery. No, I didn't do that. I didn't. I could have. He gave us dominion right here in the Word. You're a worm. But I decided, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and pick it up, fling it back into the grass, let it be on its merry way. And never once did I look at that little struggling worm trying to get across the sidewalk and think, you know what, that worm is going to improve my life. Not a bit. That's the way God looks at us. I hate to burst your bubble. But you and I are like worms trying to get across a dry sidewalk. I don't know how I'm going to navigate life. And God's like, yeah, I know. You need some help, don't you? And he picks us up and throws us in the grass. Says, what you need is my son. But he never once looked at us and thought, you are going to make a big difference in the kingdom. He sees us as worms that are struggling. God's not impressed with any of us. But he loves us. And he sent his son to die for us because he sees us as who we are in him. He sees us in the image of who he is. And he loves us enough that he sent his son to die for us. But the Bible says in Ephesians 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But because of his great love for us, God who was rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you are saved. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.26, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. When God got a hold of your heart, what were you? Were you impressive? Were you powerful? No, he says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. In other words, so that nobody can get up to heaven and feel like, well, I know you've been waiting for me. I'm just going to make a dramatic impact in heaven now. Thank you, Jesus. I'm sure you want to welcome me into the kingdom, don't you? No, he's not. He's not. Thank God you're here. Now we can get on with a real great time. God is infinitely patient with us. He's merciful and he loves us. We didn't bring anything impressive to the table. Jacob doesn't bring anything impressive here to the table. He's not the one who's pursuing God. God pursued him. God pursues you and me. And aren't you thankful how he's been on the hunt for us and so patient for us that he would pursue us with his love until we would finally respond to him. That's the nature of God. And Jacob begins to learn this as well as he learns about the presence of God. He wakes up from this dream and he has a brand new awareness that God has been with him all this time. In verse 16, it says, When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And it says that he was afraid. Why was he afraid? There are a lot of people who think that God is distant. Listen, God is not distant from you. What happens is when we're living in sin and rebellion to God, and we're aware of our sinfulness, we feel distant from God. That's why Jacob was afraid, because he knew he'd been living a life of sin and deceit. 
And now he has an encounter with God and he's afraid because he realizes the dream has brought him into the holy presence of God. He's afraid because of who he is. But God has always been near. God is never leaving us nor forsaking us. He's always near to us. It's our sin that makes us feel distant from God. But God's not distant from us. He's nearby. The Bible says in Psalm 145, verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. That's who God is. He's always near to us. He's not far. He's right near. David understood this in the Psalms. That's why he would write in Psalm 139, he says, where can I go from your spirit? There's no place I can go to escape your spirit. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, you're there. Your right hand will hold me fast. He says, I can't escape you, God. If I go up to heaven, if I go down to the earth below, if I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, I cannot escape your presence. Because God is always near and he is ever present among us. That's his nature. And so Jacob memorializes this place. In verse 18, it says, Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. It was a way to consecrate this stone that he had slept on. He sets it up as like a little monument. A little, it's a memorial stone to honor God. And this is not the only time that somebody will do this in the Bible. The prophet Samuel did this in 1 Samuel chapter 7 when God had given the Israelites victory over the Philistines in battle. The prophet Samuel sets up this stone and he names it in Hebrew Ebenezer. Ebenezer in Hebrew means stone of help or stone of remembrance. Just a little monument stone. Now, speaking about songs today, we've talked about a couple already. Some of you may have grown up singing that hymn, Come thou fount of every blessing. Then there's that line in that hymn that says, I raise my Ebenezer. And many of you sang that song all your life. You're like, what in the world is that about? Just sing. Just go with it. All right. Come thou fount of every Raise my Ebenezer. What's that about? Is this like from the Christmas carol? Sounds like the Scrooge. Why does that old man need Jesus? Well, he does need Jesus. Okay. And then you've forgotten what the song's about at all. Ebenezer just is the stone of help, stone of remembrance. I raise that memorial marker to you, Lord, because I never want to forget the way that you saved me and loved me and all that you've done for me. Oh, may my life be a memorial, a reminder to all of your grace and your love and your forgiveness. I raise my Ebenezer. I set up a memorial marker for the goodness of God. And so that's what Jacob does here. Sets up this stone, a remembrance of what God had done visiting him here through this dream. And then it tells us in verse 19 that he renames the place... From Luz to Bethel. Now, Bethel is the Hebrew Beit, meaning house, El, the suffix for the name of God, El Elohim. Bethel, Bethel means house of God. He's like, this is where God is. I'm going to call this the house of God. And he renames it from Luz. Luz in Hebrew means almond tree. And he names it Bethel. And I'm sure that the people who lived there were glad for the name change. Because if you're from Luz, then you're always known as a loser. All right. Anyhow. <laughs> It, just a little humor to lighten up your day. All right, here you go. Here's the third thing and the last thing that Jacob realizes in this encounter with God is the provision of God. The provision of God. He's like, wow, 
God is actually my provider here. Notice in verse 20, when he wakes up, he begins to pray as a result of this dream. And verse 20 starts, if God, if God, if God does this, this, and this, then I will do this. And I will tell you that there are some Bible commentators who interpret this dream as a conditional dream, and they're very critical of Jacob. If God does this, then I will do that. And I've been, as you've been hearing, critical of this guy too. At least the early years of his life, he's going to become a man that God gets a hold of in a deeper way. But he reminds me a lot of myself, or perhaps you can see yourself in this guy's story in terms of the the sinful struggles of his life. But having said that, I would disagree that this is a conditional prayer. And there are other Bible commentators. I'm not saying I'm smarter than those. I'm just saying there's another school of thought. And the other school of thought is what I lean to, that the Hebrew can also be interpreted since God, since God. In the same way we use the vernacular in language, if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, would you like to go to a baseball game? If I buy the tickets and I'll pay for all the food and I'll drive, you want to go to the baseball game with me? And you respond by saying, well, if you're going to buy the tickets and buy all the food and drive, then sure, I'll come. What you really mean is not conditionally, just means, well, since you are, if you're going to do all that, well, then sure, I'm going to do this. It's the same way that Jacob is praying here. Why do I think that? Because notice again what God says in verse 15. Back up in verse 15, God says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And that's the way that Jacob begins his prayer. Verse 20. If God, or since God, will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking. He's just simply restating what God had said. I don't believe it's a conditional prayer. I believe he's just saying, well, God, if if you're going to do all this, well, okay. I think it's a since God prayer. Since you're going to do all these things, then I will do this in response to all that you've promised to me that you're going to do. But notice with me there in verse 20. That he says, if or since God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear. For the first time, he becomes aware of the provision of God in his life. I mean, again, he's in his early 70s. All his life he's been living in his parents' house. They've always provided for him. He's never had a job. All his supply has come from mom and dad. And now he's on this 500-mile journey, 50 miles into it. He has this dream, this encounter with God. And for the first time, he realizes when he's all alone, how much he's dependent upon God. And he says, wow, God, you are my provider. He becomes aware of the providing hand of God. And he makes this vow at the end of verse 22, last sentence of the whole chapter. He says, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. I will give you a tenth. I will give you 10%. And by the way, he wasn't the first one to do this. His grandfather Abraham in Genesis 14 worshiped God by giving a tenth in Genesis 14 to Melchizedek, the priest. It was an offering unto God of a tenth of all that God had given him to worship and to honor the Lord. And Abraham is commended in Hebrews 7 for doing that wonderful act of worship in Genesis 14. Jacob perhaps learned a lesson from his grandfather. You have an encounter with God. You begin to realize that there is an inextricable link between your maturity in the Lord and the way that you handle your money because it is what God has given you. And he's come into this awareness. I want you to notice here, by the way, when we talk about a tenth 
In the Bible, it's also a term called a tithe. It means the same thing, a tenth or a tithe. Found many places in the Bible. But I want you to notice here what is missing in the story. Jacob doesn't complain that giving 10% is an Old Testament principle. This is 600 years before the law is given through Moses. This is not an Old Testament law. Notice, if you will, also he doesn't ask God, is this on the gross or on the net? Come on. And he doesn't say, well, let me just start out at 1% and I'll eventually gradually work my way up to 10. Please, listen. Christians today have become so stinking skillful at trying to get by with doing the least for God and the most for themselves. God is the provider of all things. He is the owner of all things. We are only the stewards of those things. And Jacob becomes instantly aware that what he has and how he manages it is a direct reflection on his maturity, or lack thereof, in the Lord. Now, some of you understand this principle, the idea of tithing and giving a tenth. Some of you, uh, giving a tenth, giving a tenth. (laughs) Some of you are tense about this subject, aren't you? But some of you do this cheerfully. Others of you do it reluctantly. Some of you do it obstinately. And still others of you have no idea what this is about. So for the sake of the latter, let me just say this. The biblical principle of giving a tithe or giving a tenth, 10% of all that God has given you, of your income to the Lord, is the idea that since God is the source of all things, and since He is the provider of all things, giving back a tenth is a tangible act of worship unto the Lord, who is the owner of all things, and we are simply the stewards of it. And tithing operates under this principle. Number one, that even my ability to earn a living is God-given. And secondly, all the things that I have, all the things that I possess, all the things that I've earned are God's anyway. And it's just a blessing that he allows me to live off of as much as 90% of it. That's the biblical principle behind this whole idea of giving a tenth. Malachi 3.10 Malachi the prophet said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. The word storehouse is a term in the temple. There used to be storerooms. The priests would receive the tenth that people would bring to the temple of God. They would put it in the storehouses and it would be used for three purposes. Number one, it would be used for the support of the priests. Number two, for the ministry to the people. Number three, for the building and repairing of the temple. That was the purpose of the use of the tithe. And the giving of the tithe was a motivation of the heart, not a manipulation of the law. It was a motivation of the heart to honor God, to bless Him because He's the owner of everything and we want to be good stewards of it. Now, some of you wrestle with this and you might say to me, come on, sound a little legalistic. You actually believe that Christians today should give 10% of their income to the house of the Lord. That's so legalistic, you might say. And you know what? I totally agree with you. If you want to give 20 or 30% or whatever God lays on your heart, that's the idea behind just worshiping God with what he has given you. Look, there's going to be plenty of times we're going to hit this topic through the Bible because God deals with the subject many times throughout Scripture. This is just one of three points today that we would understand God is on the pursuit of us. He is the one who loves us, that he would hunt us down, that his presence is always there. It's only our sin that distances us from him. And that He's our provider. That everything we have, 
the clothes on our back, the food that we eat, the car that we drive, the house that we live in, the job that we have, the air that we breathe is a gift from God. And we need to be good stewards of what he's given us. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection, the teaching ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. To learn more about this radio ministry, please visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc where you can download today's teaching or subscribe to our podcast. At cornerstoneconnection.cc, you'll also find information about all of our ministries, links to our Facebook page, Twitter feed, and more. We can be reached via email at info at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's info at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or you can give us a call at 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. When you contact us, please let us know how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. On the next edition of Cornerstone Connection, Pastor Gary will continue taking us through the book of Genesis. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.